going to look at a well-known passage today. It's, it's really following on from what David Lally shared with us last week. David Lally was a, a visiting. He led, he led a workshop and uh, spoke last Sunday and uh, really spoke about the gifts of the Spirit that God has for uh, the church. And, um, you know, all, all, the, all the things that are worthwhile from God are controversial in the church. Everything that's worthwhile that actually um, has power is usually contested and is usually contested by the people they were given for. So you have the church, you know, through the centuries arguing about communion, arguing about baptism, and arguing about the gifts of the Spirit, uh, which usually is a clue that there's probably something in it. And uh, he spoke about these gifts that were in, mentioned. Paul mentions them in Acts. And Paul is, you know, Paul is worth listening to because Paul is a guy who, if anybody had a mind to be able to work things out and was able to sort of um, teach from the Scriptures and say, this is what this means, it was Paul. Paul was... Uh, very well educated. He was a man uh, out of uh, Jerusalem. Gamaliel was his, his tutor. And uh, he was intellectually one of the greatest minds probably we've ever seen. And that God used him to write half the New Testament. And yet Paul continually said that, you know, without God and God's spirit, I'm nothing. And uh, he continually drew attention to the need for the spirit of God to be at work. And I want to talk about that this morning again, because uh, it's who we are, and I think it's who we're called to be. And I also want to, uh, I don't know if you like me, if I can understand something and it makes sense to me, then it's easier to jump into it. And David last week, because this is just what I want to springboard off, he said there are different kinds of sp- gifts, but the same spirit distributes them, different kinds of service. And then he's going to say this, the same is true for the body. Now to each one, of the, manifest- to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one there is gi- given through the spirit a message of wisdom, to another message of knowledge by means of the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. And then he goes, the, the reading we had this morning was, you know, we are all one body and there, is, there are different, um, we are one body and there are different parts. There's, the, the, you know, the eye and the ear and the head and the nose and all the rest of it. And we all need each other. Um, kind of that's what I want to talk about. And, and you see, the problem is we often talk about it to justify. We often talk about it like, uh, leave me alone because I'm just the ear. Leave me alone, I'm the eye. Leave me alone. There's all this struggle to integrate and there's an element of uh, we're all different, and that's true, but there's also something that is unique for us as we follow Jesus. We're called, you see what Paul is saying is we're called to live uh, from the inside out. We're called to live from the Spirit. That without Jesus and in a world that is fallen, if we live from our senses, we're going to be very, very stifled. It is, we, are, we are totally attuned to living on this world without God. That is our default. That is home for us. You see, the, greatest, the great problem with the fall and with separation from God is the prison camp became our home. The prison camp, Egypt became the place where we actually felt at home. This is where we are and this is who we are. And after generations and generations of living in the, in the prison camp and living in Egypt and all the things passed down through the generations from others who have gone before us who lived in that prison camp, we learn a whole lifestyle and way of thinking that is actually a prison slave mentality. And that feels so authentic to us. Our slave mentality feels so authentic that that is our truth. And when Jesus came to break open that mold, it was very hard for people to go, no, I don't have to tell you, you know this. Negativity, poor self-esteem, depression, uh, fear are our defaults. And without God, and don't don't hear this the wrong way, without God, 
We learn how to deal with our bodies by medication. We learn how to deal with those things that cause us disturbance by dumbing them down or releasing them through activities. And so there's an element where there's a tension and a struggle in this world as to what does it mean? Because it's very easy to follow God and follow Jesus and just invite him into the prison camp. And then what you have, and, and, and this is what, I mean, we've mentioned this before, but i say it again. When we started this church, there was a very clear word that I had from God. And I don't usually say this because I kind of go, well, you know, you might have had pizza for lunch. And, but it was, you can be a church that breaks bread in Egypt or you can be a church that breaks bread in the promised land. And the church that breaks bread in Egypt is a church that teaches you how to live in this world through all the suffering, but you never go into the kingdom. The kingdom happens when you die. The church in the promised land knows that the kingdom has come in Jesus, and therefore life begins now, heaven begins now as we draw in his spirit. But that is a counterintuitive thing. So when Jesus called his disciples, you get the beginning of how it works. And if you want to go to my favorite fellow, which is Peter, you know, just follow Peter in his, in his following of Jesus. He's being dragged into the kingdom despite all his protests because he doesn't understand which should be encouraging for us he doesn't understand he's continually arguing with Jesus and Jesus just loves him and keeps on moving and Peter eventually catches up but it goes on all his life if you do not have tensions and if you do not have questions in following Jesus you're not following Jesus he went off long ago you've been left behind because to follow Jesus means to to enter into conflict between heaven and earth in me and through me just is the way it is. Not harsh conflict all the time, but definitely conflict. If you've got it all wrapped up, and sometimes we can wrap up our Christian teaching, theology, and belief systems in our 20s, and we live through the rest of our lives strutting around on what we think we know. We become legalistic, we become opinionated, and you also become really dead. And then you say, why don't anybody come to know Jesus through me? Because you smell like rotten flesh. Sorry. You do. You smell like rotten flesh. What does rotten flesh look like? It's a talking head. I don't see love. I just hear opinions. I don't see grace and mercy. I just hear Bible verses. They don't feed me. David Lally, um, he's our latest quote, better than Graham Cook. It's a change. When we were in I'm Second, he spoke about a guy, you know, who came out of theological college and was speaking to the the addiction group and... uh, and he was speaking out of the Bible and doing some teaching. And, and, and some woman put up her hand and said, excuse me, but you're a liar. And he was very offended because he's a proper English gent, you know. And he said, I'm not lying. And she said, you're, you're reading to us from the Bible and you're talking to us from the Bible and you're not telling us anything about yourself. And really she was saying, if you don't share you, then shut up. You're like stinking corpse. Because all you're t- talking is about third party stuff. And that's what I'm wanting to talk about today is how, does, how do we capture what the Emmaus Road was. You remember those disciples walking along something changed in them as Jesus opened the scriptures and their hearts burned within them and they changed direction nothing had changed in their environment nothing had changed on the road nothing had changed in terms of circumstances but when Jesus gave them a revelation of how this fitted in they had hope again and people with hope burn people with knowledge I don't know what they do they just talk and we want to people are looking people are hungry people are still very spiritual in the world in which we live but they're looking for something that's authentic even if they don't know what it is but one of the things that God does is there's something in us that knows we recognize something I want to stay on track here because uh, 
So we, you've got this the, attuned to the world and attuned to heaven. Why, does, why do we spend a weekend looking at those gifts of the Spirit? Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Wisdom, uh, knowledge. And I promise you, you'll go to churches and you'll get a Bible reading on this and you'll have a teaching on how that is all nat- natural. And the only thing that you'll get is God, God speaks by His Spirit through the, through the Bible and that's the only way God speaks. It's not in the Bible, but that's often the interpretation. And I think Paul is saying there, you get words of knowledge for people. In other words, God speaks and gives you a word for somebody. He gives you a prophetic word. A prophetic word, as we've heard and spoken about many times in this church, is not fortune-telling. It's God telling you how he sees you and where you could be as you lived with him, as you walk with him. That's what he said to Peter. He said it to the... the, it's, It's right throughout Scripture. And I think we are very hungry to hear God's voice. I don't know about you, but I'm, it's not that compelling just to hear somebody's opinion. It's much more compelling when you start hearing God say, you know what the first thing he says? I love you. You're my son and you're my daughter. I guarantee you there's 35% of people here still haven't heard that or don't believe it. I'm not accusing you. I'm just telling you. It's something to look forward to. But hear it in your heart. You are accepted because of what Jesus has done on the cross. He loves you. He delights in you. And he doesn't define you by what you don't do. He defines you by who he has made you to be. You need the Spirit of God to go deep into your heart that that would come alive and you would actually live out of that place. That's a prophetic word. We need to hear those words that bring us to life. You are not defined. In this world in which we live, you are defined by your past. You're defined by your talents. You're defined by your family, your wealth, all that kind of stuff. And Jesus doesn't define you by any of it. He says, you are my son and you are my daughter, whom I love and whom I am well pleased. When you start hearing that in your spirit like the prodigal son, which we have up here, you begin to live from another place of acceptance, of hope, of future. Just as Carol talked about this voice that says no and realizing many of us have those, that voice that we actually have given way too much authority to. It's always negative, it's always accusing and it's never, it never gives life. It usually blames as well. It gets you in a real rat trap. And so when Paul's saying the gifts of the Spirit are given for the common good, he's saying we need them in the Christian church so that we can build each other up to become who we were always intended to be. Don't you think that would be good? If, you see, the lie is that if you hear God, I used to be terrified of the prophetic. Why? Because somebody's going to see me, read me, and tell everybody my sins. That's Old Testament prophecy, and it's also not good. Because God, as he speaks, will never reveal or humiliate you. He will always encourage you. And so we need that kind of gifting to be released among us and through us. And he can use all of us. Which leads me to the typewriter, which I'm sure you're hanging on the edge of your seats to learn about. None of you use typewriters anymore, correct? I mean, I remember using a typewriter. How many of you remember using a typewriter? There you go. We're old, aren't we? And, you know, imagine, what is a typewriter? A typewriter is something that you type on and you type page by page. And if you want copies, what do you do? You go to the, the old alcohol gestetner and you churn them out. I remember doing that. Well, um, all that stuff. So I'm just wondering why you're not still using them. I mean, it gives you perfect control. You don't get bugs and viruses. I want to suggest to you that the church in Egypt uses typewriters. You see, you can't follow Jesus and be safe. And some people are holding on to the gifts of the Spirit like they're typewriters. And all they're worried about is how can you maximize your talent? And how can you maximize what you do? Now, there's a place for that. It's just not the kingdom because God will infuse everything. I'm wanting to suggest that when Jesus came into the world, he was the first electronic computerized keyboard. Seriously. Why? Because the typewriter is stuck within your limitations. You get into a computer keyboard and you suddenly have influence from outside. You have ability to do things that you could never do. It's the same keys, 
totally different model. What if that's what Paul is talking about in Corinthians? The difference between Christian and non-Christian is Christians have electronic keyboards. Why wouldn't you want one? Well, we got a bug last week. So, get an antivirus. Why do we always say no to the positive just because of the potential of the negative? It's going to be negative whatever you do. It's easier on an electronic keyboard and there's more resource to be able to bring into the flow of what you do. You can go onto the internet, you can Google. Yes, there are negative things, of course there are, but that's in everything, including you. So what would it be like for you to live life as an electronic keyboard rather than a typewriter just surviving in my own strength, with my own intelligence, with my own wits? That's all I'm talking about this morning. And some of us think there's a virtue in I'm just a typewriter. I'm a conservative Calvinist typewriter. Why? Are you following what I'm trying to say? There's a power and a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a gifting that God gives each of us and he says you can use it if you want to. But it, there's a learning curve, but that's normal for everything. So if I talk about listening to God's spirit, well, let me, let me st- do you remember when you first got your computer? You remember the experience, the learning curve? Some of us are still on the learning curve. You remember being afraid of it? How many of you, as soon as you got the computer and unpacked it, knew how to work it and, and, and you weren't panicking and you were quite comfortable and you weren't afraid of losing what you had just done and you didn't know what email? I mean, you remember that. Imagine if you said, um, well, people do. I haven't used my computer yet because I don't feel comfortable. You might get somebody who says, well, I know how to use it. Let me come across. Let me come over and t- I'll, t- I'll show you the basics. There's nothing to be afraid of. And before you know it, you're beginning to realize when you switch this thing on, it's okay. It doesn't blow up. You begin to say, oh, I didn't know I could do that. And I didn't know I could do that. Oh, I could even send John some hate mail. I mean, love letters. And, and, you know, I don't have to talk to him. And, and there's all kinds of things you can do. And so there's an element of, of uh, suddenly there's a whole world that's opening up. But you need somebody to help you get there. Well, the same is true with God's spirit. I'm making two very simple suggestions today. One is that God has really got an abundant supply of electronic keyboards for us. And he's got way more for us than we have already experienced. And number two, uh, he needs a place for us that we can practice. How do you hear God? It's not difficult. Never thought about this until this week. It came up and said, how do you explain, how do you hear God's spirit? You can talk about his conscience. How do you, in other words, when Paul talks about having words of knowledge or you get prophetic words or all that stuff, I mean, how do you begin that? We're not going to get into that this morning, really, other than to say you begin to listen to his spirit and you say, well, what does his spirit sound like? Well, his spirit sounds like what you read in the Bible. That's a good place to get a sense of who he is. But it's also, there's a, there's a thing in us or there's a thing in us that we talk about, and I hope this will help you, where you might look at somebody, you might have a conversation, and then you say, in your heart of hearts, you know what I mean. I want to suggest to you, in your heart of hearts is the spirit of God. Listen to your heart of hearts. Truth sets us free. But your heart of hearts is that very deep sense in you that you know. You know right and wrong. In your heart of hearts, you know what you should. In your heart of hearts, you know that is God. If you, if you give it to God, that will be the kind of way he speaks to you. Just a still voice in you. Sometimes it's a loud voice, but it's beginning to know. You can call it your conscience. But in your heart of hearts, you know. And some of us, we're getting so, we get so used to not listening to that that we actually it stops speaking. And part of what God activates is he starts saying, I will speak to you if you'll start listening to your heart of hearts. I have come to bring you life. I've come to bring you life. I'm not coming to destroy you. You're doing a good job of that yourself. I have come to bring you life. And so I want to, don't be afraid to go further. 
So Paul carries on and he says, Just as the body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so does Christ. We were all baptized with one spirit. There's neither Gentile or free, slave, you know, Gentile or Jew, slave or free. And Paul uses this metaphor. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, I would not for that reason stop being part of the body. It celebrates the fact that we're different. And difference is good. That We all have, di- we, we, we all have different um, abilities or different passions. That's all good. But very often this passage is used to justify ourselves in a way that isn't good. You see, Paul's premise is that we are all one body. Now, you might be a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear, but if you're not connected to the body, you're a dead one or an opinionated one or an unhelpful one. There's an element of every foot and every eye and every ear and every part of that body is actually fed from the oxygenated blood and the heartbeat of that body. In other words, The foot and the eye and the ear, though they are different, are still totally dependent on the blood supply and the food supply and the things that are generally available to the body for its overall health. And I want to suggest that that is part of what we are called to be as well. We are called to be interdependent because you need and I need the oxygenated blood that comes through the body, the food supply that comes through the body. This is about spiritual life. It's not about physical life. You see, the physical life says, I don't feel like getting up today. The physical life says, ah, it's boring. The physical life says, they're not all like me. The spiritual life says, thank God. The spiritual life says, you are needed and they are needed and we are needed to be one. And what I'm saying very simply is that if you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to grow in the spiritual, relationship is the context, which is what that body is all about. Relationship is the context in which everything will happen. You can think that you love everyone and you can think that God's peace is in you and you can think that you're quite a nice person. Spend a week with me and you might not manifest so many of those characteristics quite as easily and probably the same is true vice versa. That our thoughts about ourselves are usually humbled by the presence of others around us over time. For instance, every church or every group that you start off belonging to is perfect. It's lovely, beautiful. Everybody loves me. They welcome me. After six months, you go, how can God even be here? because I start to know you and some of you is not that pleasant to know and some of me isn't that so you go how on earth does this place even operate let's go and look for another church and then you find the same thing until eventually you look in the mirror and say us as them and you go God came into this world that people who were sinners would come to know him and in their brokenness and in their incompleteness they would actually manifest something that is extraordinary because when you know them you don't understand how God could use them and when he does use them you say there must be a God because ultimately you see the keys of an electronic keyboard are just cheap plastic. They just facilitate something that is way beyond them. I don't want to insult you and say we're just cheap plastic keyboards, but when we look at ourselves without God in us, we are just flesh and blood and wandering around, taking up space. When we are empowered by the Spirit, we become a whole different kind of person. But it doesn't happen by accident, and it doesn't happen by thinking this is a good sermon or not. It happens by engaging. And I want to encourage you, relationships are messy, Relationships are difficult, relationships are wonderful, but they are the only place where God's Spirit can begin to refine us and work in us and through us. There is no other place where human beings can work out this stuff, is there? I need you, you need me. Let me try and illustrate it for you. So one of the things we learn is how do we regard each other because you see in the world in which we live, we regard each other by our reputation, by our skill sets, by, our, you know, by all kinds of things, education, ability to speak or not speak, by our looks, by the way we dress. I mean, there's a thousand different things that you can just go and watch TV marketing and advertising. You'll see what the world values. And then we hear God from his spirit saying, well, in heaven, we don't do it like that. We go, I'm just quoting 
praising somebody. Don't worry about what someone isn't. Honor what they are. It's not always easy. But from God's spirit, he starts saying, call out. We're calling it, say, call out the gold. Call out what you see in somebody that is good. It doesn't mean you never have conflict. It doesn't mean you never have some issues to deal with. But at the end of the day, the goal is to bring the gold to the surface. You've got to mine for gold. You've got to mine for diamonds. Diamonds don't even look like diamonds in the rough. They look like stone. When I went to a diamond mine in southwest Africa, Namibia, they were, they were hauling away huge amounts of earth to get to the, to the diamonds. They sift the diamonds. They put them on these um, conveyor belts with oil on it and they stick. I mean, it's a huge process. So to get the diamonds out of us, to get the gold out of us, isn't just kind of, well, that was sweet. There's digging to do. There's polishing to do. There's searching to do. There's getting rid of the dirt so you can see the diamond. There's all kinds of action going on. Don't be surprised if your life gets in turmoil from time to time. You're just getting polished. Don't be surprised if sometimes you're discouraged or sometimes you need a friend. You're just being polished. God is not going to look at your head. He's going to look at your heart. And when your heart is touched by him, you'll become hungry for more. Because once you've seen the real thing, you don't want anything else. You can't. It just doesn't, doesn't sound the same. It doesn't feel the same. It doesn't taste the same. It doesn't smell the same. When you've been touched by Jesus, you cannot be touched by anything else and, and say that's acceptable. But like all the people who follow Jesus, there are times where I'm not sure if I want to do this. And so that's when it stops and you have to start going, okay, we need to work on some stuff. But I'm only doing it because I love you. This is heavy. It's not meant to be heavy, you see, because in this world, you're meant to do self-help is the issue. You go out and get a book and see how you can work it all out on your own. Or you join a group of other people who can talk about the same problem forever and you try and work it out alone so you can learn to manage your problem. Jesus says, why don't you give me your problem? Why do you want to walk, walk through this world saying I'm a, a, you know, a recovered alcoholic? Why don't you just walk through this world saying, my name is John, I used to have a problem, or whatever your name is. God wants to set free, not to teach behavioral coping mechanisms. And the only way he can do that as his power is resident in us and as his spirit flows through us. And that's why sometimes he wants to encourage us with words that are spoken over us. says, I see you, Gideon, your mighty warrior, rise up. And I go, I don't feel anything like that. Which one are you going to believe? God has a future for you or your present circumstance? Well, my present circumstances is all I know. I need some people around me to help me see something I can't see yet. That talks, that's about a relationship and that's about engagement. Let me show you a video clip. It might both amuse you and also illustrate what I'm trying to say. And so for those reasons, I believe the crankbait is the most versatile and fruitful lure you could possibly have. Well, that concludes this week's discussions. I uh, want to thank everybody for coming out today. And I also want to thank our newest member, Andrew, for showing up and joining us today. Thank you. Okay, so does anybody have any announcements or any upcoming events or dates that we need to know about? Oh, oh, yeah, we got the bake sale coming up on the 23rd, and we use everybody's help for that. Also, our uh, group potluck is coming up on the 30th, and it's going to be in the main hall. I will be bringing my mama's famous chili. That's right, that's right. 30th main hall potluck supper. Also, there's a great fly fishing seminar over in Monroe this weekend. Um, I'm going to be carpooling, so if anybody wants to go, they just let me know. Tickets are $5, and the speaker is supposed to be amazing. That's fantastic. If anybody wants to go with Rick, be sure and get with him after the, the meeting, all right? Anything else you can think of? Yeah, uh, what's our next fishing trip? And I have a new reel, and I'm ready to try it out. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, going fishing. Okay. What about this Saturday? Oh, it's, it's supposed to be, like, really cold that day. Next Saturday? That's the day of the bake sale, and we can't miss that. Two weeks, maybe, like on a Thursday, I might can take off. I have classes, like, all day. How about this summer? 
Fish, don't fish like swim south for the summer? I gotta get my dog spayed. Also, I'm allergic to water. Helping my neighbor change all of his light bulbs. A high pollen count day. My mom had a really bad reaction one time, and I think it runs in the family. It's my dog's birthday. He's turning four. I just can't handle the sun. Do you even have your license? Do you have your permit? Could you tell me what's the difference? I got this blue card in the mail, and I'm not sure. I think it was a boating license, but I don't have a boat, so I don't know why they sent it to me. Has anyone here gone fishing ever? So nobody has actually ever gone fishing in a fishing group here. Thanks, guys. It's nice meeting y'all. Good luck. Oh, hey. We still need to elect Apollo chairman. Which part of that don't you understand? Can we turn the lights on, please? I mean, it's kind of funny, but <laughs> we often are like that. How many of you have uh, got fit by reading health books? Almost everything that l is learned has to be applied. How many of us are praying right now for God to do something in our lives? And he's going, I'd love to get up and walk. Do something yourself and I'll help you. And I just want to encourage us. It's very, very simple following Jesus. It's listening to your heart of hearts and it's taking the opportunity that's right in front of you to go fishing and to not just talk about it. And the cool thing is that you go with friends. So you can look a fool, but you're not a fool. You're just being taught. Is this going down well? So I've got some, an exercise for you that's going to... I want you to listen to your heart of hearts as I explain this to you. Because I've, dry, I, I've, I've drawn up a list of things we do in this church and possible workshops we could have, possible places you could plug in. And I'm going to distribute it and I'm going to ask you to fill it in right now. And at the bottom there's a place for a name and a phone number or a contact number. Now listen to your heart of hearts right now. Some of you are beating really strong. I'm not committing myself to anything. Some of you are going, uh-uh, I don't like to be put on the spot. I'm just telling you I'm not putting you on the spot. The easiest way is not to sign your name. But if you don't sign your name, and this is not manipulative, this is diagnostic, listen to your heart of hearts and say, why not? What I'm suggesting to you is you will not grow. We will not grow as Christians or those who want to even know Jesus. You don't have to be Christian if I don't do anything. And there's an, a principle that as you do something, something changes. And what you thought might not be so good actually could be really fun. But what it also brings up is how much of us we still want to shelter and protect and say this is mine. If you're visiting here, you could fill it in just so that we get some feedback because I'm interested to know what would be helpful.